Now, today, I want to kick off this um, purpose series, and this is going to be an intro to what we're going to talk about. And I've titled today's talk, Carpe Diem. Carpe Diem. I made the observation to you last week that I have seen more men fail because they lacked purpose than because they lacked talent. More men, women, people, humans, more people fail because they lack focus more than they lack giftedness. Every person in this room has some type of talent, some type of giftedness and abilities that God has poured in you. More people fail because they have no purpose and they have no focus and they have no direction and they have no plan of where they're going. When you have ability without accountability and responsibility, you become a liability. Come on. And so God has poured certain things within us. And when I refuse to have accountability and responsibility with the ability that God has given me, I become a liability not only for myself, but for my family and for others. So, it's time to carpe diem. Seize the moment, seize the day, seize the opportunity. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. It's in your bulletin. And it says this, be careful how you walk. Not as foolish men, but walk as wise men. Make the most of your time. Because the days are evil in which we find ourselves living right now. Do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, come on. I want to see you right. I want to see you right. Circle that word, be careful. Be careful. Be, be careful. Be careful. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh-huh. Satan is referred to as a lion. He wants to pounce on us. He wants to devour us. Be careful. In the Greek, that word be careful literally means discern, perceive, and understand what the will of the Lord is. Discern, perceive, understand. God, what is my purpose here on this planet? Collectively, our purpose is to know God, enjoy God, is to walk with God, to worship God. Collectively, as a group, all of us have the same fundamental purpose. It's to know God, enjoy God, and glorify God. But selectively, God has poured certain things inside of you that are unique. So when we read that phrase, be careful how you walk, discern, understand, perceive, it also implies do not drift and go through life aimlessly, which means know where you're at, know where you're going, and have a plan. Now, I've got written on my dry erase board in my office, determine where you are, then, then figure out the destiny that God is wanting you to go, and then connect the dots and develop a plan. God wants each and every one of us to have a plan. God wants you to know what your fundamental, unique purpose based on your DNA is. God wants you to know why you're here. God wants each and every one of us to understand that we were not created as an accident. We were created providentially. God has got something unique for you. Piper said it this way, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied with him. 
God will be most glorified and elevated in your life when you become most satisfied with him. Now, I want to answer three basic questions for you today. Three important questions that I feel that we all should deal with. Number one, what does God want from my life? Number two, what will it cost me? And then number three, why should I do it? Very simple, practical, transferable questions that we can entertain, that we can wrestle with, that we can answer, but we can also pass them on to other people. What does God want from my life? That's the first question. What does he want? You can answer it in just a few words. He wants everything. God wants all of me. God wants completely my spirit, my soul, my body, my will, my emotions, my thoughts. What does God want, Tim? He wants my entire life. You can study the scripture, and you can come from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22, and you will not find a single verse in the Bible that says you can follow Jesus and live however you want to. There's not a single verse in the Bible that permits us to live just ever how we want to live. God has created us with unique purpose. Romans 6, verse 13. It's, this is great. Listen to what it says. Do not, do, not, do, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves, go ahead and circle it, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Instead, give yourselves completely, oh, go ahead and circle that word. Give yourselves completely to God. For you were once upon a time dead. You were lost in your sin and trespasses. You were alienated and separated from God. Once upon a time you were dead, but now you've been given new life. God has made you alive. He goes on to say, oh. Use your whole body. Use everything that you've got, your whole body, as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Now, we're driving people to redeem their body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And on the back of your Connect card, there's this opportunity to sign up for this complete body transformation almost. And Dallas is going to be leading this class every Tuesday night. He wants to help you spiritually, mentally, physically, with your diet and everything. But you know what he says right here? Completely and whole body. Completely and whole body. What does God want? He wants all of me. I love what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite writers, and Lewis made this observation. He said, the only thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Christianity cannot be moderately important. If it is true, it deserves every ounce of energy and passion that I have. If it is not true, there's no reason to get up in 16-degree weather and come over here on a Sunday morning. But if it is true, it invites me to surrender my entire allegiance to worship him, to know him, to pursue him, to respond to him with everything 
that I have, if it is true, it should alter and determine the remainder of my life, how I live today and how I live going into the future. Now, a lot of people have concluded that they can add God to their life and God becomes a part of their life. I will declare until I die that Jesus didn't come to take part, he came to take over. He doesn't want to be a resident in your life. He wants to be president, authority, ruler in your life. So God is not asking me to give him 10%. Listen to me. We talk about giving here, and the Bible says tithe. God doesn't own 10%. God owns everything with me. God doesn't want me to give him 50%. He he doesn't want 99%. He wants 100% of my heart yielded to him. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It's either everything or it's nothing. Two passages, one old, one new. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12. Listen now. This is God's voice being spoken to Israel. Listen now, Israel. What does the Lord your God require of you? Moses, that spokesperson, that prophetic voice of God, speaking to Israel, he says, what does God require of you? He requires you to fear God. He requires you to walk in all of his ways. All of his ways, circle the word all, not some of his ways, not a la carte scripture. Don't just gravitate toward what's convenient. What does he require? He wants you to fear him to give incredible reverence to him. He wants you to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him with all your heart and soul. Even as far back as you can study scripture, the proclamation of God to his people was, I want all of you. I want everything that you've got. You pick up the text in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and it says this, no one can serve two masters. No, No one can have two authorities. No one can have two people calling the shots in their life, two authorities, two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, listen to this, you cannot serve God and money. You can take that word money and put other relationships, you can put pleasure. You can put any activity that you choose to place there. What is he saying? Did did you read it? I would circle the word cannot. He didn't say you should not. He said you cannot. There's going to be one thing always supreme in our lives. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he's saying, worship God, serve God, love God, give everything that you've got to God. What does God want from my life? He wants everything. He wants to be number one priority. Now, one of the things that helped me years ago was using this wheel. And this wheel diagram has helped me greatly over the years. Because reality is, something is going to occupy the center of your life. Whatever is seated in the center of your life is the authority of your life calls the shots in your life. Now, it can be money, it can be fame, it can be popularity, it can be academics, it can be all this other materialistic kind of stuff, 
It could be an activity. It can be some athletic thing. But here's the thing. When I surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, and I allow Christ to take over the center of who I am, he will live his life out through this body I have here. He will live it out in my personal life, what I read, what I ponder, how I eat. He goes, since I'm calling the shots, I'm going to lead my life out through you there. He'll lead it. He'll lead his life out through you and your family. Man, we did a funeral on Friday for Larry Childs, one of our brothers that was in this fellowship here. Can I tell you something? One of the most anointed funerals I've ever been a part of. It was a celebration. I was at the hospital Tuesday night, and Larry had tanked. His health was failing fast. His sons were there. One of his son's family was there. His wife was there. And those boys were looking at their dad. And Larry died the next day. But his health was failing, and he was struggling to stay alive. And they said, Look at the way you brought us up. You pointed us to Jesus. You loved our mom. You were always there. You taught us the word of God. Dad, we love you. Dad, we're so proud of you. Dad, we're so thankful for you. What, 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 what happened? Christ was center of Larry Charles's life. And even as he lays there, about to breathe his last, Christ had lived the abundant life out through Larry. So when Christ is a sinner, he's living his life out through me and my personal, in my family, in my community, my neighborhood, wherever I live. He's living his life out through me here at church with other people, at my job, at my school. Does this make sense? When Christ is sinner, when Christ is priority number one, watch the way he works in your life. Now, this is an interesting tale. Uh, Luke chapter 9. It's a very interesting tale. Jesus is walking down the road, and this uh, guy comes up to Jesus. And Jesus looks at the guy and says, uh, come follow me. And the guy responds to Jesus and says, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go back and take care of some family business. Listen, 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 listen. You cannot use the phrase Lord and me first because it's a contradiction. Jesus would later make the proclamation that any man after putting his hands to the plow and looking back, he's not fit for the kingdom. When this guy looked at Jesus and said, Lord, which means master, ruler, and authority, but me first... He wasn't Lord. He wasn't calling the shots. And for each and every one of us, we've got to do a little evaluation. As we start this new year, as we contemplate where we're at, I would highly encourage you to look over your life and say, is there an area or a few areas in my life that I'm declaring me first? Do I have anything occupying the center that screams, uh, me first? Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first meet somebody and marry them. You marry outside of God's will, it is a train wreck for most people. Amen. Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first make enough money. 
Let me first acquire some earthly wealth. Let me first, let, let, let me first, has caused thousands of people to reject Jesus. And I'm chewing on that passage this week going, what a crazy thing. Lord, Lord I want to hang with you, but, but me first is getting in the way. Now, I talked about Larry, and I'll give you a couple. My buddy Jeff wanted his life to count. The two guys from Noonan that were in our wedding for Barb and I was Jeff and Eric. Jeff came to faith in Christ the summer of 1985, and Jeff became a bird dog for Jesus in a sense, and Jeff pointed me to the gospel. Jeff said, dude, you've got to know Jesus. He shared the love of Christ with me, and I repented and responded to the gospel. On our anniversary three years ago, Jeff died. December 1st, I was at the hospital November 30th, the day before Jeff died, and I went in to see him. There was this peace and this joy over Jeff because I knew that his life screamed, I have carpe diemed. I have seized the moment. I have done that which makes life matter. My buddy Eric, he died last February. So Eric dies in February of 2015. He, or 16. He got diagnosed in October of 15 with cancer all in his body. Eric didn't have any church marinade, no spiritual growth, no foundation. And Eric, all of a sudden, he gets diagnosed that medical world says we can do nothing for you. Eric began to cram for finals. Eric started looking at life and what really mattered. Ted, his brother-in-law, and Holly, his sister, bought him a Bible, bought him Jesus Calling, bought him devotional stuff. And Barb will tell you, Eric and I began to dialogue, and Eric surrendered his life to Christ. The dialogue that I had with Eric right before he died was, I've got a carpe diem. I don't have much time, but I've got to get right so that I don't get left. I want to make sure my heart's right. Bob was the scout that signed me. When I signed my first contract in 1984 with the Astros, Bob was the scout that came and sat down and he signed me. Bob didn't walk with Jesus and I loved Bob. Bob meant so much to me in the baseball world as a friend. But Bob got sick. Bob's in hospice. Bob is on dialysis and I travel over to Woodstock and I sat down with Bob and shared the gospel with Bob. And Bob looked at me and basically said, Cash, I don't want it. And it was the last conversation I had. Can I tell you something? Carpe diem. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? <clears throat> Do 
make your life extraordinary. Make your life count. Carpe diem. Redeem the moment. Redeem the day. Redeem the time. Redeem it. Be careful. Understand God's will and live in it. Second question I would answer would be this. What is it going to cost me? If I'm going to carpe diem, if I'm going all in, if I'm going to surrender, what is it going to cost me? It's going to cost me everything. We understand that. He wants everything. But what is it going to cost me? It's going to cost me discipline. It's going to cost me living a disciplined life. Proverbs 10, 17 says, whoever practices discipline is on the way to life. Discipline. 1 Timothy 4, 7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline and disciple are almost Siamese twins. You can't be a disciple of Christ if you're not disciplined. Again, the word discipline in the New Testament of 1 Timothy 4, get this, it, it comes from the word gymnaza, which means to spiritually sweat. It's where we get the English word gymnasium from. So when Paul uses that exercise, discipline yourself, train yourself for, what is he saying? You've got to sweat it out. You, 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 you've got to commit to it. As I said on the front side, do you know where you're disciplined? In the areas that you want to be. You're committed and disciplined in the areas that you want to be. So the question has to be posed, where does God want me disciplined today that I haven't been in the future? If we were as disciplined in feeding the spiritual man as we were the physical man, what would we look like? The majority of us in here, we don't miss any meals. We know when we want to eat, we know about what time we're going to eat. We're committed to eating. If we were committed to feeding the spiritual man like we are the physical man, we would have a buffed up group on a Sunday morning spiritually. Come on. But we always do that which we value. So how, how, how does it happen? How does it happen? Looking at my brother on the front row. I mean, this dude's dropped like 50 pounds in the last six months or whatever. I saw him at the Fall Fest, and I'm like, how much, how much weight have you lost? He started telling me what he was doing, changing his eating habits, changing some of what he did. I mean, you guys have lost combined a lot of weight. It's like, look at y'all. But it required discipline. So you got up that one day, and you started this plan. And you kept that plan that day. And then you got up the next day and you stayed on that plan. So you've got to create healthy habits. You sow the right thought, it becomes the right action. You start walking in the right action, it becomes the right behavior. The right behavior starts to become the right habit. That habit becomes a discipline. The discipline becomes a lifestyle. And the lifestyle becomes your destiny. I've heard my charismatic brethren get up and prophesy over destiny. There ain't no shortcuts to a healthy destiny. I've got to get the right thinking, which means I've got to eliminate stinking thinking. I've got to get rid of some crud in my head. All of a sudden, I start thinking right. 
which leads to acting right and behaving right. Come on. And as soon as I start to find that, I'm like, man, I've got good habits. The habits now are my discipline. The discipline now is my lifestyle. The lifestyle is now in my, my destiny. It's just who I am. But you don't get there overnight. You got to stay with it. If you tell the truth all the time, people will look and go, he's an honest person. 26 years, stay faithful to your spouse. They look and go, uh, you're a faithful husband and you're a faithful wife. And, and when you start to look at what are habits or what are good disciplines, this is good, Rick. What, what is a good habit and discipline? It's those things that you do over and over and over and you don't even have to think about them. And all of us can get there. If we're going to live a purpose-driven life, we've got to clean some things up. I would ask this question. Do you want to change your life? Come on. Do you really want to change your life? And if you do, you're going to start creating these right habits and disciplines. One of the things I'm fired up about in this 40-day purpose-driven challenge, you do it every day, 15 minutes, a chapter. That's about 100 minutes a week. 100 minutes a week. Now, if you didn't know, you get about 10,080 minutes every week. Did y'all hear me talking? That's how many minutes I get in my week. That's how many minutes you get in your week. You get 10,080 minutes a week. If I carve 15 minutes in the morning, if that's not your best time, do it in the evening. Do it whenever. But if you carve 15 minutes, seven days a week, it's going to get you right around 100 minutes. Now, if you really go crazy and get you a journal and an ink pen and start praying for other people, it might cost you 125 minutes of your 10,080 minutes. But if you start creating the right habits, you know what it's going to change? It's going to change your life. It's going to change your direction. It's going to change your marriage. It's going to change the way you parent. It's going to change the way you do life. Now, what, what, what have I got to do? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this. It starts by saying, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, meaning all those saints of old, and then it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. And then he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He goes on to say, look into Jesus, consider him, the author and perfecter, who for the joy set before him, he endured it. Now, when you look at that, that verse, let us lay aside, let us lay aside every weight and every sin. Now, sin is somewhat easy to identify. Sin are those things in your life where God has spoken and God says, this is right and this is wrong. Sin is when I willfully disobey God and do what God says don't do. Makes sense. Sin is an archery term, old Roman archery term, which means I've missed the mark of being right, perfect, holy before God. So sin is a lot easier to identify in our lives. Let us lay aside those sin issues in our life. Okay, God has spoken. Let me tell you what a weight is. A weight's tougher to identify at times. Because weights are not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. There's some things that crowd our plate and become part of who we are. And God goes, I'm not saying it's wrong. 
but it's not necessary. All of that time you're spending on movies and TVs or whatever you're watching, whatever you're doing with that time, a lot of it is maybe neutral. Well, I'm just texting. Oh, welcome to this generation. Try to have a conversation without somebody picking up that device. I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, but I'm saying it's not necessary. And, and when you start to look at it, it may be an expectation. It may be an activity. It may be a fear. It may be bitterness in a relationship. And Brandy, for all of us, if we're not careful, we can start getting weighed down. And we don't run the race set before us with endurance because we've got these weights. You go, I don't feel like I'm sinning. I've heard people say that. Well, what's wrong with what I'm doing? I would ask this question. What's right in what you're doing? I mean, we love to deflect and defend and deny. So, to me, one of the keys is I've got to learn to say no. I've got to say no to those things that are inferior so that I can say yes to those things that are superior. I've got to learn to eliminate so that I can properly dedicate my focus to where it needs to be. There are certain things that we're going to have to cut out, Carrie, in our lives if we're really going to be the people God wants us to be, Glenn. That's where God has taken us. Luke chapter 10 tells the story about Jesus going down to uh, Mary and Martha's house. Mary and Martha, they got this brother Lazarus. He, he's later in the narrative. But he gets down at their house. And verses 38 through 42, if you're reading Luke chapter 10 there, it says while he was chilling there and hanging there, that Mary was really engaged in hanging and talking in dialogue. But the scripture says, but Martha became distracted with her many tasks. This is the weight thing I'm talking about. Jesus, God in flesh, the Savior of the world, the one who's going to conquer death, hell, and the grave, is sitting in her living room. And she became distracted. Reality is, in this room, we've all got a little Martha in us at times. All of us, if we're not careful, the main thing takes a back seat to something inferior, and we get distracted. Seventy years is 25,550 days. My buddy Larry got 67 years. Most of us, based on the teaching of Psalms, David said if you get 70, maybe 80 years, pretty good. So you're going to get approximately 25,580 days. Don't you think it's wise to set aside 40 of those days that could lead to 50, that could lead to 100, that could lead to 500, that could lead to maybe 5,000, that you develop the disciplines and the habits and the priorities that would change the remainder of your life? That's what I want. That's what I want to see for each and every one of us. Your relationship with God matters more than anything. Psalm 39.6 says this. We are merely moving shadows. And all of our busy rushing around ends in nothing. We heap up wealth and then someone else enjoys it after we die. 
I mean, you want to talk about a fatiguing verse to read. We're moving shadows. All of our rushing around and staying busy amounts to nothing. We heap up all this wealth and we're saving and we're going to do this and do that. And then we die and somebody else gets it and just down the tubes. And we look at it going, what happened? What happened was, did I pause to invest in that which really counts? Even in legacy giving, if Barb and I have 500000 invested with everything going on over the years, just, we ain't got that much, but I'm just using it. That would be nice. So, my kids are not going to get that money. I don't want to cripple them. There are some people that have left behind millions and the next generation gets it they have no work ethic they have no discipline they have no values put it aside tell your kids that that money has to be used for kingdom purposes tell your kids that they get to decide what ministries are invested in with that but you're not getting all of it we don't play that that's not healthy. And I think for so many of us, we're looking going, what, what, what does God want? He wants everything. What is it going to cost me? It's going to cost me living a disciplined life. Last question here. Last question would be this. Why should I do it? Why should I do it? Romans 12, I urge you brothers, I urge you sisters, in view of God's mercies, I urge you to present yourselves as a living sacrifice before God. I urge you to present yourself holy and pleasing before God. I urge you to give God everything that you've got. Give him that which is acceptable. Lay yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice. Give God the pen and say, would you please write the narrative? Why should I do it? Here's my answer. The cross of Jesus Christ. Because of the ultimate sacrifice that my Savior was, be, uh, was willing to make in order to redeem me out of the ruins of darkness and transfer me into his kingdom of light, the ultimate payment that my Savior made to rescue me, to heal my soul, to restore my soul, when I look at it, it's like, why should you do it? Because God has made the ultimate love statement, declaration saying, you matter. You don't have to live estranged and separated and alienated. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, I have hope. I have meaning. I have purpose. I have eternity secure today because of the cross of Christ. Why why, why, did y'all name this place the cross? Because the word of the cross to those perishing is foolishness. But to those being saved, it's God's power under salvation. It it, it is God's power that leads to salvation. And so the cross of Christ bids me to come and die to myself so that I can live with purpose forever and ever and ever. That's my why. Why, Tim? The cross.
the cross. The cross says, hey, I want all of you. I want you disciplined. I want you staying with me. But I want all of you. Now, here's my wrap. Here's my wrap. Over the next few days, I want you to do this. I don't care if it's an iPad, pen and pad, whatever you got. Here's what I would encourage you to do. I want to take some time and write down who are the people, family and friends, enemies and foes, who are the people in my world right now that I know are unchurched, alienated from fellowship, and people that I know they're not walking with Jesus. You can do this. As you get into this 40-day journey starting tomorrow, and I pray that it lasts forever, but as you get into it, I would ask you, write down the names of those people and start praying for them. God, I pray for April. I pray for Lee. I pray for, okay? Write their names down and say, I'm going to start praying for them. Then, as you look and go, do you know what could radically change their life? If they could be a part of this 40-day purpose journey, this could radically change them. So you're going to text them. You're going to email them. You're going to call them. I put a thing out yesterday. One of the girls in our church, bam, she sent it to 13 other friends right away. You know how much time it cost her? About 18 seconds to do that. Pray for them. Write their name down. Lift them up before the Lord. Invite them. Hey, we're doing this 40-day purpose thing. I'll buy you a book if you'll come. I want you to be a part of this. You and I can do it together. You and I can have conversation during the week. I'll tell you what I'm reading. You can tell, you, you can tell me what uh, is going on in your life. That, that would be so cool. Can you do that? We love people here. You love people. You care about people. You care about people's walk with God. You care about where people are going to spend eternity. People matter to God and their eternity matters to every one of us. We care. I mean, we really do care. I want to see Loganville and beyond reach with the gospel. I want to see people unlocked and freed to walk the abundant life that God has for each and every one of us. I'll wrap it with this. 2 Corinthians 6.1 says this, as God's partners, we beg you not to reject this marvelous message. We, we, we beg you, don't reject God's marvelous message of great kindness that he's extending. He goes on to say, at just the right time I heard you, on the day of salvation I helped you, God is ready to help you right now. Today is the day of salvation, deliverance, being reconciled and restored. Today is the day. I beg you as God's partners, let's do this journey together. Let's make it a win. Now, here's what I want you to do. In your bulletin, a couple things. A couple things. In your bulletin, my commitment. All right, would you take that out for me, please? And take it out for you. All right. So I, I want you to look at this, my commitment. With God's help, I commit the next 40 days of my life to discovering God's purpose for my life beginning one 
9.17, that's tomorrow, I will read and meditate on each chapter of the Purpose Driven Life daily. I am committed. No, 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 listen to this. Listen to this. Sign it. And I'm going to put 1817. I don't want it. I'm going to give this to Barb. I'll give it to Hannah. Give it to somebody in your life to say, give it to your spouse. I don't want it. But it's, you made this commitment. Yes, I did. You're serious about it. Yes, I am. And all I'm saying is, hey, I'm in. If you're married, I highly encourage you to do it with your spouse. If you're a kid, do it with one of your parents. If you're single, have a friend or somebody you can share it with. Okay? Acts 10, 34. Peter exploded with the good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and you're ready to do as he says, the door is wide open. I'm like, yes. I want to do what he says. I want to walk with him, Chad. I want to know it. George Herbert said, I love this quote, it's never too late to be who you might have been. I read that quote. It's never too late to be who you might have been. The game's still going on. You still got a pulse. There's blood flowing. The man, the woman that God wants you to be, it's not too late. You can do it. Good morning, guys. Thank you for worshiping with us and faithfully serving and giving here at the cross. We're really seeing an impact on this community because of your faithfulness. And so we want to say thank you to you. We also want to remind you there's four real easy ways to give here at the cross. You can put your offering in the bucket when it passes, usually towards the end of the service. Um, you can go onto our website and give online there. You can also go to your um, online banking service or if you pay bills that way and set us up just like any other bill or even have it auto-drafted in time periods that you uh, prefer. Um, but most recently we added a texting service that is really the simplest way to give. It is personally my favorite. Most of our staff gives this way and it's very easy. I'm going to walk you through it real quick. You're going to text to 770-852-5402 you're going to text offering in the, the amount you'd like to give. So say offering 200 and you hit send. Now the first time you do this, it's going to come back to you with a link and you're going to go to that link or follow that link and fill out the information they're asking you for. This is only a one-time thing. Every time after this, you don't have to do any of that. Um, once that's filled out, um, every time afterwards, you just hit Type offering in the number, text it out. They will send you a text receipt and an email receipt so you can track what you're doing. And uh, it's really quick and easy. We love it. And so thanks again for your faithfulness. And um, thank you for hanging out with us and worshiping with us today.